Hello and welcome to Personally Invested. I'm your host, Dave Richardson. Today, I sit down with Damon Williams, the Chief Executive Officer of RBC Global Asset Management. And what we're going to do today, the discussion is going to be a little bit of a change of pace from previous episodes of the podcast, where we focused on uh, investment managers and, and how these individual investment managers manage their individual portfolios. Today, we're going to focus more on leadership and focus on how to build a world-class investment manager. Damon has a really interesting background, and he brings a different style of leadership, and I think a really interesting style of leadership, and particularly an incredible passion for building a strong organization, a diverse organization, and an organization that brings value to investment clients. I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation. So, Damon, welcome to uh, Personally Invested. Thanks a lot, Dave. Great to finally have you on. Yeah, it's great to be here. And uh, one thing that uh, that we always like to do when we we start with a, with a new guest is to uh, to find out how they got to uh, to where they are. And uh, I think you'll be no different. Uh, you've got. Uh, I, I I understand you've had a fairly interesting career path. How did you? How, how did you get interested? Or how, when, when did you know you wanted to be the head of a global asset management firm? Gosh, that's a, that's that's an interesting question. I, I didn't even know asset management existed as a, as an industry when I until I was about halfway through university. So it was certainly wasn't something that I aspired to as a child. Um, I my my father was an engineer, my mother was a chemistry teacher, so I was headed hard down the science path and. And uh, when it came time to actually select the university program I wanted to, to do, I, I'd, I'd become disenchanted with the idea of engineering. And, and a friend of mine had spent a lot of time in the guidance office in high school and been looking at things. He says, oh, you should do this. It's an actuary. It involves math and they make lots of money. And that's about all I knew. <laughs> and so I, I went down that path. And, and as it turns out, I, was, I enjoyed math. I was good at it. And, and, uh, and the actuarial science background, which is mostly finance and statistics, was pretty good training for an eventual transition to the asset management business. The, 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 for me, the, the shift to asset management happened when I had finished my actuarial degree. I was, I, was done all my actu- I was doing my actuarial exams, but I quickly, working in the pension field, but I quickly became obvious to me that I was much more interested in the asset side of pensions than the liability side. And so then I, you know, getting into that, I wrote my CFA, I started doing investment consulting and went from investment consulting into actually, you know, practicing in asset management um, on the institutional side, eventually taking over, uh, having the opportunity to take over uh, institutional business for GAM in Canada first with PHNN. And then as when PHNN became part of GAM, the U.S. and international, and then ultimately when... Uh, John Montalbano uh, retired, uh, taking over first as co-CEO and then as CEO for GAM. That, you know, the, the whole that whole career path though has been really driven by a single principle, which is keeping my eyes on what it is that I really like to do. What are what are the things yeah. that 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 drive me? That get me excited out of being getting out of bed every morning, and then just trying to lean more towards in that direction. So, for example, you know, I, I knew I was interested in investment, so I leaned in that direction. I learned I was quite interested in business strategy as well as working with investments. So when I had opportunities to get involved in business strategy, both in consulting and in asset management, I leaned more in that direction. I found out that that I was a really it was really quite rewarding to to run teams of people, and, and that was I find you know people management just endlessly fascinating. And when you get it right, 
tremendously rewarding. And so again, I look for opportunities to to do more of that and continue looking for more more uh, ways to challenge myself. I've, I've always found that being a uh, w- when the learning curve is steep, when I when I feel like I'm challenged, that that's what I've been most excited about about the roles. And so there's been no shortage of that through this path of being an opportunity to challenge, learn, grow, and 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 keep on going. And were were you always good at math? Was that just something that uh, so you? In, engineer parent, but, uh, but. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's genetic or if it's, uh, if it's learned, but certainly something that's uh, was math was uh, was a uh, an analytical thinking was a big part of our household growing up. So I may have had some some uh, nurture advantages, and maybe I have some nature advantages too. But but it's always been something that's uh, come fairly naturally to me. Yeah, I've got I've got a daughter who uh, who just for whatever reason just is naturally exceptional at math and it, it just seems it drives you, you you see how it drives the decision making and that seems to come into your career that you 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 love that core component and then it just opened up so many interesting doors for you and then you were able to make the right choices or i i hope you, you feel you, I, i'm assuming you felt you've made the right choices oh, along I, the way i feel tremendously uh fortunate to have had the career opportunities i've had i mean it's a, the you know i, I think about the op- where i sit now and just the opportunity to lead a, a team of people who was running a one of the foremost asset management firms in the in the world let alone Canada I mean and and it's a uh, just the the skill and the talent and the engagement of the staff around around the organization are are incredible to 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 see and just I so the opportunity to be part of that and to to have the to, to sort of lead that overall business has been you know I kick myself every day as far as how, how fortunate I feel to, to be in this role. So, uh, so when you, when you joined, uh, Phillips Hager North, what was your first role with, with Phillips Hager North? And, uh, what, what, were, what did you learn from that, from, from your first experience in the investment management uh, business? So I joined Phillips Hager North as an institutional fixed income portfolio manager. So prior to that, I was a running Aon's, uh, investment consulting business yeah. practice globally. And so I was consulting to a number of institutional clients on how they should invest their, their, their money. I moved to PHNN as this institutional fixed income portfolio manager. Then rather than consulting to a client on what to do with their money, we were actually implementing for that client. So I was dealing with the same clients, but now we're actually representing the asset manager manufacturing the portfolios. And there's one thing I, I think that any consultant, anyone who's gone from consulting to execution realizes is, there's a few things you realize after you've been doing the execution of portfolio construction for a while. You think, "Wow, I, I used to advise clients to do that." You know, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so you, you learn some things. That sure. Perhaps, oh, geez, if I was able to do that again, I'd go back and give them different advice. But but it wasn't too bad for the most part. Uh, it, it was uh, uh, it was all right. But then, so that was basically I was working with institutional clients specializing in fixed income portfolios, and then from there went to leading the institutional client business for PHNN. That was just prior to the uh, the acquisition of PHN in 2008. So, so for, for, for anyone who's worked in the Canadian investment space, uh, Phillips Hager & North is an iconic name. Uh, it, it, it conjures up, and, and I, I, my, my experience with, with Phillips Hager & North is from afar. Uh, and then when Phillips Hager & North joined, joined RBC and experiencing the, the, the culture and the people. But what do, what do you think made Phillips Hager & North such a special place from, from your perspective? I, I think... You know, Philip Sager North it has a lot of elements that, that made it special, but I would think you know, the, all of the organizations that have created, that are what RBC GAM is today, have elements of that. So there are, 
every location across you know in Gam's offices are they're all they all have slightly different flavors to them. But they're all now a blend of the things that have the successful parts of the legacy organization that have led to what we are today. You know, I think about there's a huge amount of commonality. I mean, it's sort of highly collegial internally, but competitive externally. Curious, bright people who are engaged, who are seeking to find new ways to do things, to do things better for our clients. I mean, there's this obsessive drive to, to how can we do more for our clients, which I think pervades the whole organization. And I think those commonalities are really why GAM has succeeded the way it has is because those pieces that originally started GAM fit so well together because there were so, so many similarities. So I don't think, you know, if you looking at PHN from someone who didn't come up through that organization, you yeah. might think, wow, that was really special. But I can assure you, you know, a lot of people who came up through PHN look at RBC Asset Management and Blue Bay and think, wow, there's something special in those organizations too. And it's the complementary aspect of those specialness characteristics that really led to, I think, a, a stronger firm all over. Wow. So, so Philip Sager and North, you're, you're there and you're in the institutional business and, and then you move to, what's the next role? Well, from there I went institutional client facing to still institutional client facing, but having the privilege to lead the institutional team. Yep. I say that happened shortly before uh, the acquisition of Philip Sager and North uh, in 2008. And at which point, when PHNN was acquired by, by RBC and put together with RBC Asset Management and Voyager Asset Management, then John Montalbano became the CEO of that combined, combined group of asset companies. Okay. And which, so then I succeeded him as president of PHNN, but was also part of the executive committee that we had put together sure. to sort of represent that, that, the newly formed GAM at the time. Um, so my role went from being predominantly just working with a book of clients to one that was at that point probably 50-50 client work and management business strategy work. Um, and then and then from there, over the next few years, I was uh, I took over responsibility for the U.S. business and then the international business that sort of, so I ended up, my, my penultimate seat prior to taking on the co-CEO role was head of global institutional for GAM. So, so the so so that's your first experience leading people, and you you, you talked about how you, you you know we we've we've touched on how you love mathematics and and that uh, and the learning, and we'll we'll mm -hmm. dig a little bit deeper on that in a second. But you also said uh, you you really enjoyed once you got a taste of leadership and mm -hmm. and working with teams of people. Yeah. W what what do you recall about your first experience leading a group of people? Well. Uh, Maybe I'll preface it by saying everything I know about leading people I've learned by screwing it up the first time. Okay. And so it's, you know, people I find are endlessly complex and, and trying to invest time in understanding their perspectives, their views, I find is, is it's very time consuming, but it's immensely rewarding because you can really understand what drives your team, what motivates them. Then you can help them you get you create an environment that helps get the most out of the talent you've got. I think that's the most fascinating part. Now, I had had some experience doing that at my prior role at Aon sure. because I ultimately I, I was I had a business leadership responsibility there. Okay. So, you know, I, again, I learned some of my lessons there, although certainly not all of them. And and, and I continue to learn lessons about this absolutely every day. But but I find that's that's the the really interesting part. The part that I find most motivating is 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 when you can. When you start to feel like you you're understanding what your how your team's working, you're you're listening to them, they're listening to you, you're you're helping them, you're helping 
create an environment that enables them to be as productive as possible. I find that's that's the trick and making sure that they're that um, that they feel like they're getting the support they need, the direction they need from you as far as a friend of mine who is the CEO of an engineering firm once said that the CEO's job is to get everyone to swim in the same direction. You don't need to teach them how to swim. They know how to swim. No, you don't yeah. need to teach them how to swim around the small obstacles they'll encounter. They can do that themselves. What you need to do, though, is help coordinate. We're all trying to head in this direction. And once they've got, they understand that clarity of direction as far as where we as an organization are trying to go, they, everyone will make, they're smart, they're engaged, they will make their own decisions on how best to help us get there. And occasionally request guidance if, it's, if they're not sure. But, but that's, the, that's the job, is to say, here's where we're trying to head. And then what can I do as, a, as the leader of the business to help, to help you know, free up any barriers that, that are, that are Difficult for individuals to get over or teams to get over. Yeah, and so your your uh, the, the direction you're trying to get everyone to go in right now and in this role is is you're in the you're building a world class asset management shop, and I think most people would agree that it, this is a uh, you, RBC Global Asset Management is a world class asset management shop. So is the key to that the math or the people and culture? It's definitely the people and culture. I think. Is the is that's the more important part? The math is the math. You know, the actual mathematics is not really a big part of what I do anymore. But the the logical and analytical thinking is 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 I think helpful training for it. Um, but you know, it's 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 not it's a mixture of of logical thinking and empathetic thinking and you know understanding and I. You know, it, so it's a mixture of all these different things has helped contribute to um, the skills that I find helpful to me as far as trying to succeed in this role now. So I find it's it's interesting because it's it really is, and I think every leader is like this in terms of their they have you have to find your own personal style of leadership that works for you. I know that you know some some I am probably more analytical than some, probably because of my background. Um, but hopefully not to a fault. And you know, I learned from you know, I often get pointed out where I perhaps are leaning you know too much one way. And I know other leaders who I think are very very effective who aren't nearly as analytical, but they they use their own strengths. I mean, I've been really privileged um, in terms of again the people around me. And I know that, like the GAM executive committee is filled with people who are they're all bright, they're all motivated, but they have different complementary strengths. And so some and this is what I find works really well is is where I miss something, it's unlikely that all of the executive committee will miss it as well. Usually when we have these discussions, there's almost always someone comes up with a perspective that you think, ah, you know, that, that's, that's great. So again, it's trying to create this environment where these smart, motivated people can contribute and help us make better decisions. And um, so that's what it comes down to. I mean, I'm, you know, yeah. certainly uh, I, have, I have lots of faults, but, but I think the team around me helps make sure that we as an organization don't suffer from those faults excessively and that we can complement one another. And, and, and you touched on a point that, that we've, we've, we've covered on, on several of the, of the different episodes in this podcast speaking to different investment managers, uh, and, and that is this idea of diversity and the, the power of diversity. Uh, so you mentioned it around your executive committee table uh, in, and, and diversity in, in, in people, where they come from, background, diversity of thought. How important do you think diversity is to, to, to what you're trying to accomplish? Again, running a global asset manager, not just a place, not just an asset manager that's, that's viable in Canada. Oh, it's hugely important. It's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, there are no 
complex problems that get solved in a in a sustainable way without groups of people working on them. It's, you know, the, the idea that you have a person sitting in a room who's all-knowing and sort of sits down and thinks, ah, oh, this is the solution, and gets it right, that almost never happens. It's almost always an idea that crops up that gets batted around with a group of people that have diverse perspectives. That's how you find these lasting problems. That's how you ensure that you don't have a hole in the solution that you think is ideal when someone with a different perspective points out, eh, have you thought about this? So I think having diversity is important. The most important aspect of diversity is cognitive diversity, having people who think about things differently. Yeah. But you don't get cognitive diversity without having differences in diversity in terms of experience, diversity in terms of backgrounds. So a lot of the, 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 the to me, the, the most important aspect of diversity is ensuring that we have an environment in which people who have different experiences, different perspectives can, can contribute, can feel like their voices not only can be heard, but should be heard, and that they can succeed here. And that, I think, is the recipe for us navigating not just the problems we're looking at today, but the, the, the problems we're going to inevitably face in the future, like the problems and opportunities. But you, without those diverse perspectives and without an environment that embraces those diverse perspectives, I, I think what are the odds of our being successful are, are much, much lower than they would be with it. Yeah, so so we the, the, the um, global asset management has had... Uh, such an incredible run over the last 20 years. If you look at it from a Canadian perspective, uh, incredible rates of growth. Uh, if you look at it on a global perspective, uh, some of the different pieces that have been put together to form what is the current global asset management uh, have been incredibly successful. Uh, we're taping this uh, just a couple of weeks uh, after uh, the most recent uh, Lipper Awards in Canada where uh, Phillips Hager and North are uh, uh, an arm of, of RBC Global Asset Management, I think for the, the 10th out of 13 years, top overall fund manager, uh, for 11 out of the last 13 years, top overall bond manager. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, 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 it's an incredibly successful organization in terms of delivering results and outcomes mm -hmm. for investors. What do you think in, in when you when you look at the at the different pieces you've put together and how they function and deliver for clients? What do you wh maybe talk about the story of how those pieces were built and what was the thinking behind each piece that was added and how it va it adds value for investors, particularly in Canada but all around the world? Well, I'll start with. I mean, a I think it's it's been almost nine years since we made our last major acquisition, sure. which was which was Blue Bay. But if you think about the start, I mean, RBC Asset Management was Canadian, predominantly Canadian, predominantly retail focused. Phillips Edgar North was predominantly Canadian, predominantly institutionally focused. Um, the mostly fixed income, the 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 uh, RBC Asset Management had a lot of equity strength. I mean, the, both the the client sets and the capability, investment capability sets were quite complementary. Sure. Voyager Asset Management was focused on, on the U.S. with, again, some different and complementary um, capabilities, which we, we folded in. And then, but then even that made it mostly North American. And then Blue Bay is now predominantly European with little distribution in North America and global fixed income focus, whereas most, most of GAM's fixed income to that point had been predominantly North American focused, again, highly complementary. So that's what we've really looked for, has been complementary manufacturing, complementary distribution, the sort of pieces that you add together where the, the whole is, is worth more than the sum of the parts, right? That's, that's the idea. Absolutely. Uh, and I think we've successfully done that. I think there's more to go in terms of making sure that the pieces continue to work well together, but 
but there's and that's and that's, and that's not saying that that uh, that uh, there's not good work done. But I just think there's 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 more that we can get out of the the, the business we've got. I think there's there's lots of opportunity for us to continue to grow and continue to to, to uh, make more of the ideas and the teams that we've got to do more for clients. So, so, so what are, what do you think the biggest challenges you're, you're going to face over the next five years or are, are going to be in, in, in this business uh, specific to RBC global asset management, mm-hmm. uh, but to, to the industry overall, uh, the, the investment management industry around the world? Well, if I look at the industry overall, I think that the, the, some massive changes that we're in the midst of, I won't say coming at the industry, they're, they're here and they're, we're, sure. we're in the middle of them, but they are around, you know, technology, they're around uh, regulation changing quickly around the world as far as expectations on asset managers, um, fee transparency, those sorts of things. They're around uh, new competitors that are that are emerging. Uh, they're around client expectations. I mean, you know, the way in which clients expect to be dealt with by a service provider, not just an asset manager, but many service providers, is very different today than it used to be. I mean, so the service, what is acceptable service? Today is 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 a much higher bar than it was a few years ago. Absolutely, yeah. So those are all things that are happening, and they're 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 coming at us very quickly. But and I mean, say, again, not coming at us. We're in the midst of them. They're continuing very quickly. But I think you know we're adapting and, and quickly. And if you think about the new, you know, the RBC iShares Alliance that we launched, we think about some of the work we've been doing on real estate with BC Investment Management Corporation. You think about. Um, some of the the uh, work, the, the new capabilities we've been launching out of Blue Bay with the CLO capabilities. I mean, there's, there's a constant array of new thoughts on how do we take advantage of what opportunities in the market for our clients. There, we're continuing to work on on the, the sets of new tools that we've been launching to make life easier for advisors and, and help them do more for their clients. As you know, we've continued to do. So I see all of this stuff as. I mean, rapid change creates disruption, but it creates opportunity. And you know, one of the things that I find most exciting about the industry is what what are we going to be able to do for our clients with all of these new tools? It's amazing. Like the you know what we can deliver for our clients is is exciting. And I you know there's so many ideas in the pipeline. I look at what we're working on developing for this coming year, and it's it's awesome. And so I you know I look at this stuff and think this is great. I mean. There's always risks that you don't quite get it right and, you know, that you miss some things. Yeah. But when I look at the team we've got, I mean, the, you've got so many people who are there bright, they're engaged. I mean, the recent innovation challenge was fantastic. It's one of the ideas and the engagement that came out of this, the, the, you know, the teams. So, so t- tell me about the innovation, just a little, little some, some background on what that is. The innovation challenge was the challenge. This is, we did innovation challenge 2.0 this year. So a couple of years ago, we did the first version of it where we had, and what we did was we invited teams to, to form and to help us solve a problem. Now, the first time was, how, what can we do? Uh, how can we make GAM better through the use of data? This time was basically better, faster, cheaper. Sure. And so what, what are your ideas to make us a better, faster, cheaper organization? Well, this time we did it over a 48 hours. A team had to sort of put together a present, sure. an idea and a presentation. But the ideas that came out, we had 22 teams, I think, participating. Wow. Um, you know, so well over 100 people who are, you know, spending their evenings and, and nights working on these problems. And, and the variety of things, that, the ideas that came out were fantastic. And they were just the enthusiasm and thoughtfulness that went into this was 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 tremendous. And I think that's just, you know, an example of the type of, you know, thoughtfulness and engagement that goes on across our firm. So if I look at that, I look at our, our staff and how thoughtful they are and what they're thinking about and how they're constantly thinking long-term about what can we do better for our clients? That's why I'm, I'm, I find this 
all these changes in the industry, I find they're exciting. They're not, they're not scary. They're, we have opportunity to do so much more with the people we've got and the technology that's coming our way. It's, I think it's, the growth opportunity is tremendous. And if, and if we keep the business focused on creating long-term value for our clients, and that's our goal, the business will be successful. Sure. So we focus on that, like our clients and yeah. what, what helps them the most. I think we'll have a, continue to have a really motivated staff. We'll continue to have a very successful business. And I think we'll all be able to, you know, we'll all look at each other and, and walk out of here at the end of the day thinking we've done, we've done some good things. Yeah, well, I mean, it's so interesting because I, I, I talk to so many business leaders and, 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 and people in business in, in all fields, not just investment management, uh, who are fearful about the future. And, and, and how rapid change is and, 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 and how, how change is dictating uh, the, the, their business, whereas in the, in the past they often were able to dictate the changes that were coming in their particular business or industry. And you just, uh, it just doesn't seem like that's the, the, the attitude that you have towards this at all. Well, and and, and, it, and is, is, it, is it easy to get everyone to buy in? Because they're reading the headlines there. They, they see where the challenges are coming for, for the industry. How do you make sure everyone's viewing it the same way you do, that, it, that this is exciting, it's not something that's scary? Well, I mean, it's exciting. It's, you know, it can be a bit scary at times because you always you see these things happening and you think this is change. But I think we all have to remind ourselves that, that you know, I look around the, the room, I look around the, the firm, I mean, the, the caliber of people we've got, the, we, have, you know, we, have, we are able to recruit from some of the strongest organizations, the strongest, strongest academic institutions anywhere. We have a, an enviable list of people who want to work here. We have tremendous retention amongst our existing staff. We continue to train and develop. We're, we're, we've just got our people are our strength. And we've, we happen to be part of an organization, a parent organization that's got tremendous capital and is, you know, is willing to invest in the business where we've got good ideas on how to grow it. And so while those things don't guarantee success, I think they give us a lot of advantages. And so that's part of why I, I get excited about it. The other thing that, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm a keen cyclist and there's a, the, um, there's a, 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 a sort of a saying in cycling where if you're racing up a hill and you're looking around at the people beside you and you're suffering, that's the best time to attack because you know they're suffering too. Sure. And I kind of think about it that way. It's not like, you know, when we look at our business, there's always things that are disrupting us. And there's lots of things to point at and go, well, what about this and what about that? But when we take a step back and think, think about our competitors. I mean, think about how worried they must be. I mean, we have so many strengths behind us. When we attack and we go hard, I think that more often than not, we will come out of this successful. Not every time, but I think more often than not. And that's why I'm excited about it. Wow. So, so I, I, I want to finish with this because I, I, I have to... I, I, I have to validate some of the things I've heard. Uh, you mentioned you're a cyclist, and you, you, this is a this is an audio. We're doing this as an audio broadcast for a reason. I don't want to stand side by side with Damon uh, because he is a physical specimen. I am a little chubby and uh, uh, cherubic in uh, in appearance. And and tell me about what is really your fitness regimen o- over a week, for for example. What 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 are you doing? And let's get let's get to good weather. Uh, in 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 the Canadian landscape, right right now you don't want to go outside, but well, I did go for a went for a, a snowy ninety kilometer bike ride on Sunday, which was which was amusing. <laughs> but but so my typical day, I mean, I'll get up early. I'll go you know, this morning, for example, I ran into work. Uh, then I'll go to the gym and do weights or boxing at lunch, and then run home in the evening, and then 
so that that's that would be a pretty typical day you know running or run or ride in the morning do something strength training middle of the day and then so usually something you know on at the end of the day on the way home um and then on the weekends when uh when i have the opportunity i'll spend i'll go for longer bike rides or runs or what have you so so, so these stories of you doing a 250 kilometer bike ride and then looking for 100 kilometers more to, to just tack on because it was too easy that's that's an exaggeration or is that it, it that has happened on occasion but it's not <laughs> it's not something i look for every day and plus i'm you know i'm getting older so i'm 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 starting to slow down, Dave. It's a uh, but uh, but no, I, I I find for me it's and it, I it, it, it someone said to me, and I think actually it was John Malabano who gave me this advice years ago, which was your career is a marathon, it's not a sprint, and yeah. so pick the balance that works for you. And for me, I've always found physical exercise has been something that helps me. I, I do a lot of thinking while I'm exercising. Sure. I find it's it's. Uh, you know, it helps take some of the stresses off. Sometimes other, that when I'm tackling a tough problem, you can go and work out. And sometimes I come back from the workout, I'm like, okay, I'm more settled. I can tackle the problem better. So for me, it's part of the balance and it's always been part of the balance. And so, it, you know, it's, it's just, but that's a personal thing. And, and certainly everyone's got to find their own balance, like what works for them in terms of balancing you know, their, their work, their, you know, their pleasure, whatever that is, their physical activity, their family time, all of those things. So, yeah, there, there is, uh, let me tell you, I, I haven't done 250K on my bike, but there is nobody quicker from the, uh, from the economy section of a, uh, of a flight to the luggage rack <laughs> carousel than me. I'm, uh, I'm super speedy. I could, uh, I think I could challenge you there. It's a skill in itself. <laughs> it's a skill in itself. Anyways, David, thank you very much. I really enjoyed this. Thanks a lot, Dave. Thank yeah. you. This has been great. And thanks for, thanks for doing these sessions. Thank you for listening to Personally Invested. If you have suggestions for future podcasts, please email us at rbcgampodcasts at rbc.com.